This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. This year marks the 400th anniversary of the historic arrival of the pilgrims to the New World. These Christians, as we know, came here to seek religious freedom. And that brave journey that culminated with the Mayflower dropping anchor at Plymouth, Massachusetts, was the foundation upon which our nation was built. But today, as we know, America itself is in deep trouble. It's in trouble not only from political upheaval and moral decline, but at root, it's in trouble due to our spirit spiritual decline is a people who came here seeking to honor the Lord and no longer in great measure do so. Now, Psalm 85, 6 says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And that's why my next guest is inviting Americans across the country to pray with him on Tuesday, October 6th, when Times Square Church in New York City will live stream its worldwide prayer meeting from Plymouth, Massachusetts. So we're going to check in now with the organizer of this prayer event, Pastor Carter Conlon from Times Square Church. He is general overseer there and host of the nationally syndicated radio devotional, It's Time to Pray, and a new weekly radio program, A Call to the Nation, and is also the author of several books, including It's Time to Pray. Carter, so great to welcome you back. It's great to have you here. Janet, thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Well, I can't think of a more important period in my lifetime for Christians to be praying for our nation. And I know prayer is what you do. You have a huge focus on prayer. I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the times that we're living through right now. 2020 has been a year a lot of people will look forward to never seeing again. But how have you been looking at this just as a pastor and as a Christian, all that's been going on in the United States, really just in this year? Well, I would say this year, like it's, it's uh a clear mirror image of where we're going as a society if if we don't have a spiritual awakening and turn back to God again. Uh, the incivility in our our discourse, our, our politics, our morality, uh, everything. We're we're at a we're at a moment such as the Lord once spoke to the prophet Ezekiel when he was describing the nation and it there was just a systemic rot throughout the whole of society from top to bottom. But then he says something amazing. He says, and I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I should not have to judge the nation. Hmm. And the, tragically, the next conclusion is he said, I found no one. And I, I believe that the Lord is looking to establish a moment of mercy for America if he can find a people who will come to him in humility, saying, God, just forgive us for what we did with the freedom that you gave us for 400 years and how we've, we've turned our backs on you, we've turned our backs on truth and, uh, and such like. And I believe that this, this is a mercy moment for this country if, if we're willing to embrace it. Oh, I pray that it is. And, and that's been on the hearts of so many Christians I've been talking to in the last several months. Why do you think we have not seen more of a groundswell of prayer from Christians? I mean, I've seen, I've seen pockets of it, and I've seen some Christians really concerned about revival, but not as many as I thought I would. Have you seen that as well? Do you think it's harder to see Christians who are really spiritually focused 
focused on where we need to go, not just where we are? Well, I think America offered such uh, such an, an ease of lifestyle and such opportunity and prosperity and freedom. And, of course, if you follow biblical history, uh, whenever God blessed his people, all through the book of Judges, whenever he blessed his people, they turned away from him. They forgot him. They began to intermingle themselves with the uh, the ways of uh, people who lived in their midst who had no living relationship with God. And I think in America we've done largely the same. And quite often I've said, you know, the, the inalienable rights in our Constitution to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, unfortunately, became the doctrine of the Church, where much of what was preached in pulpits across the nation was about my life, my liberty, and the pursuit of my personal happiness. Mm-hmm. And it, it produces a, a lethargy, a lukewarmness, actually a stupor, may I call it that, to, to be unable to actually recognize, as, as biblical history teaches us, when we're, when we're at the, the edge, in a sense, of losing everything that God's ever given us. And I'm hoping, and I, I know you are too as well, that there are people who are going to to wake up, in a sense, to the moment that we're presently in, because I, I do believe it's a do-or-die moment for this country right now. If we, if we don't have a spiritual awakening, there's a darkness ahead of us that neither you or I want to be around to experience. There's, there's, uh, there's an encroaching godlessness that wants to swallow the very fabric of this society, and I, I fear for this country for what uh, I can honestly see coming if we don't turn back to God with with, uh, humility in our hearts. Oh, I do too. I couldn't agree more with you. So talk a little bit how it was that you decided to do this from Plymouth. I know you're going to be praying from lot number one. This is the site of the first house in America where these pilgrims prayed. Talk a little bit about the site that you've chosen. Well, we, you know, what happened is that my wife and I were in, in uh, 2019, we're on our way home from vacation. She had been reading a book called The Mayflower and asked me if we could stop in Plymouth to, to see this, this stone uh, where, the, you know, it's at least uh, the history says or legend says that the Plymouth uh, brethren first put their feet on when they landed here. And uh, so we, we went there and we were sitting on a bench uh, overlooking the, uh, the area where this, uh, this Plymouth Rock is. And when I heard somebody call my name, and it was a young lady, and uh, she was there with her dogs, and uh, she said, my mom and dad, my husband, myself, and about four other people have been praying with you in your worldwide prayer meeting uh, for the last two years. And then she said, well, my my mom and dad own the house on the corner. Would you like to see it? And initially I said, no. (laughs) We were busy. We were, were just passing through. Uh, but it turned out to be a historical house. My wife is a history buff, and so we wound up going to this house, and I had no idea this was a house built in 1790 on the very foundation of the very first house built in, in that part of in America there, <laughs> in Plymouth. And, uh, you know, so the owner of the house told me that he had, two and a half years before he had felt the Lord telling him to sell his business, he was a contractor, to go to Plymouth to buy this house, it was for sale at that time, and just wait. And while he was waiting, he joined us in our worldwide prayer meeting on Tuesday night, and uh, then he began to pray and said, God, is there a way that you could make that I could meet this man, referring to me? Hmm. And then uh, in August, I'm sitting on a bench 30 yards from his house. Wow. (laughs) This is obviously God set this up. Now, I'll try to get through this really quickly if I can. Sure. So we went into the house and we began, I said, can we just take a moment to pray? So we prayed together in the house and there was an 
indisputable presence of God in this house. And it so stirred me that I went back to my hotel room that night and I couldn't sleep. And in the middle of the night, I started to pray. I said, Lord, you, you led me to this house. This is obvious that you led me here. You led this man to buy this house and his wife. And so what is it that you're trying to speak? And as I was praying, the Lord brought my mind back to Second Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the Old Testament, where Solomon dedicated the temple in the presence of God was there in the middle of Israel. And he had given them the land by not by their strength, but by his mercy. And Solomon prayed and when the temple was dedicated, and he said, Lord, if, 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 if your people are taken captive by a foreign power, whether it's within their own borders and in a place that's near or far, but yet in that captivity they, they rethink about their ways and they turn back and pray towards this temple, then please hear their prayer and forgive them and bring them home. And so it was that night in the next chapter, chapter 7, the Lord appeared to Solomon, and he said, I've heard your prayer, and if I have to send pestilence, or if there's blight, or if there's an enemy rises up in the middle of your land, he said, that's where that famous verse comes in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Yes. And then the Lord said to Solomon, now... My eyes are open and my ears will be listening to the prayer that is made in this place. And my heart will be there perpetually. In other words, if you stray from me, I will still be waiting for you to come back to this place. Oh, goodness. And it was in that context that I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to come back to the place where America spiritually began, where 51 people who survived that first winter, half who survived it, they gathered in their weakness, and they gathered with no strategy, no strength, no plan, and hardly any provision. All they had left was a promise. I'll tell you what. Hang on. Pastor Carter Conlon is with us. We're going to pause for a quick break. We'll come right back on Janet Mefford today. Don't go away. Gofran and Khaled, two little boys from Syria, were orphaned four years ago. But when they came to Lebanon with their aunt as refugees, Heart for Lebanon was waiting for them. Heart for Lebanon was there to provide Christian education, emergency supplies, and the hope of the gospel to these two boys. Now they listen attentively to the Bible stories they're hearing and are memorizing Bible verses. They have hope now because of what God is doing through Heart for Lebanon. Your investment of $116 will help two families to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call now, 888-247-5499. Here's Camille Melke, founder of Heart for Lebanon, to explain why he's encouraged right now. You could sense maybe from my voice the excitement, right? The sense of God has us here in a time and location in history that is unprecedented. This is an opportunity time, God-sized opportunity time like never before. Right now, you could see a wave of people in great anticipation at what God will further do in our midst in the years to come. Because I believe that the crisis in Syria is a long-term crisis, unfortunately so. But I also believe that uh, right now we are starting to reap what has been sowed for many, many years 
in the lives of the refugees. We are seeing churches full of Syrian refugees. We're seeing Muslims coming to Christ. We're seeing children uh, now being the greatest testimony and the best evangelists within their communities. This is the result of many years of hard work and greater, I believe, by faith, far greater results are coming in the near future. Your gift of $116 will allow Heart for Lebanon to help two families survive during the next 60 days. Call now, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, we are back. Thank you so much for being with us. And it's great to have here Pastor Carter Conlon from Times Square Church. He is general overseer there. And a wonderful prayer event is coming up on October 6th. He will be live streaming the worldwide prayer meeting from Plymouth, Massachusetts. Of course, this is the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the pilgrims to the New World. And boy, these were Christians who knew what suffering was all about. And they also knew what prayer was all about. And I'm sure they would be very concerned if they were alive on Earth today to see the state that America is in. It is time for God's people who are alive on earth right now in the United States to come together and to seek the Lord, perhaps like we've never sought him before, to repent and to pray for a great awakening to come again on the United States. Carter, you were really talking about a wonderful passage before we went to that last break in Second Chronicles 6 and 7 and how this really inspired you to go to this site, lot number one in America, the site of the first house for this prayer event. Do you have a sense of what you will be praying for, what you are going to be saying and what you're going to be sharing from the Word of God for people who are participating in this prayer event? Yeah, well, as I was saying before I went into the break, you know, all all these pilgrims had was just a promise of God and a little bit of strength. And from that came this incredible miracle called America. And I felt the Lord telling me that he wanted me to come back to the place where this country began 400 years after its inception and ask him for forgiveness for what we did with our freedom. And so I'm going to open the prayer meeting by asking, naming the sins of America, asking God to give us, to forgive us for what we did with the freedom that he gave us. And then from that point, there'll be people from every walk of life here in America, from uh, uniformed police officer to possibly even members of our government to others to single moms we're going to all be praying together each in turn for uh, a moment of mercy on the nation in the days ahead and uh, we're doing this really in obedience to God I think what really Janet makes this a different prayer meeting is I, I feel it's called by God himself it's not people deciding to get together to pray as wonderful as that is, but it's, uh, in my opinion at least anyway, it's actually God himself asking us to come and to have a meeting with us and to, to deal with the issue of, of our failure, in a sense, to properly honor him with the freedom that he gave us. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you, when you're talking about naming the sins of America, clearly that's a list that could go on and on and on. But when you're looking at Christians, you had mentioned just a few minutes ago when we were discussing this, your concerns, and I share them, uh, about Christians who have become complacent. We've had so much and, and we really mirror in some ways God's people in the Old Testament. God blessed them tremendously and then they forgot him. Is there a sense in which you think Christians have fallen guilty to that sin as well, that we have forgotten God in so many ways. We've taken him for granted. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, theologically self-focus uh, started to become, in a sense, predominant in the House of God in America for probably the last two decades or even more. Yeah. You know, where the bulk of people are coming in not to be given for the sake of others or not to, not to even talk about suffering or sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Everything became about what can God do for me this week. And that focus brought the Christian church in America into a place of incredible weakness. Sure. So that we realistically, as, the, as the, the, the culture itself was was heading down a very dark corridor, uh, in many cases I don't think people were even aware of where the culture was going. You know, and that's the, the peril in the sense of religiousness. We can get into a bubble and we don't even know what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. And now that the alarm is being raised and people are realizing, wow, we are really fighting darkness here. We're, we're in a situation where there are not many who even understand how to fight this, this present darkness. Uh, you know, there's, there really is no way other than to go back to the basics of what the church has always been about from the beginning and begin to pray and pray for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't see any other way forward now. No, I don't either. And, and, you know, we do have a history in the United States of revivals. We think of the Great Awakenings, for example. Jonathan Edwards, a great colonial preacher, is, is comes to mind. And some others, you know, even the, during the time of Dwight L. Moody, the revival that took place then. And there, there have been periods of time throughout American history where religiosity was on the wane and people were morally decadent. Yet, like you note here, and I think rightly, we're in uncharted waters in many ways. But what about the hope for awakening? Because I think sometimes it's easy to look around us and lose hope, but really we have all the reason to hope because God can do anything. God can do the impossible. We say that, we say we believe that, but do we really believe that? Yeah, well, if we would just look back at our own history, 104, roughly, 103, I think, sailed over to Plymouth. One baby was born on the way, so I think it's 104 landed. Yep. 51 or so were left alive after the first year. And in that position of, of impossibility, that's, that's really where America started. Right. I mean, they're surrounded by enemies. They had no provision. They had no strategy, no go-forward plan. There was, there, was, there was nothing, in a sense, but a promise from God that he was bringing them to a place, to a land where men and women and children could worship God freely according to his word and according to conscience. So it was really all just about the freedom to worship God. And he gave them this promise that he was taking them to a land, but it's almost like he took away all of their strength where they could have said, we achieved it by doing thus and thus. And so gathering this little house, which we're going to be in, uh, 400 years later, the exact same place, (laughs) and they just prayed. I don't know. I don't know what their prayer sounded like, but I know that they're in, in an impossible place. And out of that little beginning, in that weak little beginning, came this incredible nation that has really, realistically, possibly been the envy of the world. And, and, and so we're going back there and saying, God, we are, we are weak. We are weaker than we think we are. There's a, there's, there, are there are enemies all around us. Our, our plans and our posturing and our, our, our boasting has all failed. The, the society is perishing right around us. We've, we're at the place where we're calling evil good and good evil, and uh, we're driving you out, all, all our, out of all of our institutions. But God, yet in our weakness, here we are once again. And as you were once merciful to them, 
we're asking you, Lord, to be merciful to us and give us, give us a moment of awakening. Give us a mercy moment in America. And this is going to be the cry of my heart, and I believe many people will be praying with us. Oh, amen. How can people participate? I know that there is going to be an opportunity to participate virtually, but for people who are listening who say, I want to be part of this on October 6th, how can they do so? Just go online to It's Time to Pray. It's all one word, lowercase. It's time to pray.org. All the information is there, or they can join us at uh, TSC, that's Times Square Church, dot NYC. That's in Times Square Church, New York City. And uh, it'll be streamed live. Our worldwide prayer meeting is up. We, we do have it every week. It's in 200 countries around the world. And uh, they can go there. They can come in. It's interactive. They can text. They can email during the prayer meeting comments and, and such like. And, uh, and we will just all be praying together and uh, believing for this incredible mercy moment for the nation. And so wonderful and so needed. How do you think we will know if the Lord answers the prayer for awakening? I mean, just based on what you understand about previous times of awakening, what begins to happen when the Lord does answer that cry out for mercy? Well, I think the first thing that's going to happen is that people begin to realize that, you know, we have strayed far from what we were called to be. We strayed far from God. There'd be a, a sorrow that comes into the heart for, uh, for the way maybe we've treated His presence and the way we've lived. And there's a sudden desire in the heart to just get back to God. I don't know how else to say it. People will, like in the parable of the prodigal son, they'll just come to themselves wherever they are and just start heading down the road saying, I'm, I'm just going back to living for God. I want to do it His way. I want to find His will for my life. Uh, there'll be a turning from sin. People who've engaged in practices they shouldn't have will suddenly come under the conviction that to get back to God again and living relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ, this, these things have got to be made right in my life. And they'll begin to turn away from, from these things and turn back to Him again. So right. okay. uh, it's, it's really God's got to come. It's not a matter of us formulating some new plan. We don't have one now. Exactly. It's really just Him coming and honoring His own name. I think in the book of Ezekiel, chapter uh, 36, beginning at verse 22 and onward, he just says, I'm not doing this for your sakes. He says, I'm doing it for my name's sake. Mm. And that's been my prayer. I said, Lord, you deserve better than this. <laughs> and as Daniel once prayed, to us belongs shame of face, but to you belongs mercy. So, God, I'm just asking for the sake of our children, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the unborn. Lord, have have mercy on us one more time. I love that. And that's so beautiful. I mean, because that's exactly right. It's about God's glory and God's preeminence. It's not about us. And and we need to return to him and have a heart for him. And you know what really strikes me, Carter? When you look at the United States and how many people, it's kind of become fashionable in some circles to, you know, kick the United States. It's terrible. It's awful. It's awful. You think about how many missionaries have gone forth from the United States of America just in the last 150 years. And what a difference mm-hmm. that has made as a platform for sending people out into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and how many churches have been planted and how many people have gotten saved because of that. That alone is mm-hmm. a reason to say God has blessed this country beyond measure in the, the preaching of the gospel around the world and to be able to be revived and awakened again, that we could renew that same vision and, and continue to be a great missionary force. That, that's another side benefit of, of really seeking the Lord at this time. Lord, let us continue to be a place of freedom where we can preach your gospel to the whole world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's really important. Right. Yep, exactly. So we are running out of time, but I just want to point people, Carter, to the wonderful websites that you mentioned. If you want to participate in this time of worldwide prayer from Plymouth, Massachusetts, uh, you can go to itstimetopray.org, or you can also go to Times Square Church's website. It's tsc.nyc. This will be 7 p.m. Eastern on October 6th. Pastor Carter Conlon with us. Such a joy. Thank you so much, Carter, for being here. God bless you. Thank you, Jenna. God bless you. We'll be back. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we here at Janet Mefford today really love the ministry Heart for Lebanon, and that is why we are so excited to be helping them again to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and practical help to those people who are in such great need on the other side of the world. But this year, as you most likely know, the recent explosion in Beirut has made a bad situation in Lebanon even more challenging amid the ongoing Syrian refugee crisis and the impact of a crumbling economy that's complicated by the reality of the coronavirus pandemic. There's just a lot going on. And there are literally millions of people hurting and without hope in Lebanon right now. But Heart for Lebanon continues to bring critical aid and hope through Jesus Christ to the people there. So we are once again delighted to partner with them at this critical time. Your investment of $116 will help two families receive the emergency supplies that they need to survive through the next 60 days. And best of all, they'll also receive the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. A gift of $58 will help one family and we want to help at least 100 families in the next 60 days. So if you'd like to help, here's the number to call 888-247-5499. Once again, 888-247-5499 or there is a banner to click at JanetMaffer.com. Right now, we're going to take a few minutes to visit with James Ward, who is executive director of Heart for Lebanon and hear more about the situation over there. James, so great to have you here. Janet, thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me, and and thanks for your partnership with Heart for Lebanon. You you and your listeners are have made just such a huge impact over the years, and. We're grateful to be doing this again with you. Oh, we're so glad to be able to help in any way we can because we love you guys too. This has been an especially difficult year, as I was mentioning, in Lebanon after a series of difficult years. Can you bring us up to speed a little bit on the situation on the ground over there and what your ministry has been involved in doing in, in the wake of all these challenges? Well, as as you mentioned in your uh, introduction, the the last several years have been incredibly difficult. Uh, for the nation of Lebanon, specifically uh, the people in Lebanon and the Syrian refugees that but nearly two million of them call Lebanon home. Hmm. Um, a crumbling economy, um, food shortages, the explosion that took place uh, just over a month, a little over a month and a half ago, um, has just left the country in a state of despair. And um, our team on the ground has been able to respond quickly, uh, specifically as it pertains to the explosion in Beirut. Um, in an instant, over 6,000 people were injured and over 300,000 
left homeless. Oh, wow. and, and this in the midst of all the other crises that have been going on in the country. Um, so we've partnered with local churches in Beirut. We've identified uh, nearly 750 families that we are coming alongside of, partnering with, helping to uh, secure their homes so they can move back into their homes, providing um, many of the things that, that your listeners, when they call or when they go go online and give, will help provide the, the food, supplemental food portions, hygiene kits, uh, mattresses, uh, bedding materials, things that these folks and these families need to survive during this difficult season. Oh, goodness. And, you know, I know there are still a lot of people in Lebanon who have never heard of Jesus Christ, and you guys have made such incredible progress in making disciples for Jesus over there in the Bekaa Valley and in the south there in Lebanon. Talk a little bit, if you would, James, about the, the work that you do every day. I mean, even without the explosion of Beirut, which has added all sorts of challenges to an already difficult situation, tell people a little bit about the work that you do and how you reach these people who have never heard about Jesus. Well, our mission as an organization is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And every program we run, everything we do is all about uh, leading people into that growing relationship with Christ, uh, such that we have the opportunity to come alongside them, build a long-term relationship with them, and disciple them into ultimately becoming disciple-makers. And so, we have programs uh, that target at-risk children and youth. We've got Hope Education Program for refugee children. This is a, uh, effectively a school where kids can come and learn. And again, most of these families that we serve, most of these children come from a Muslim background. Yes. And so the opportunity that we have is to serve them, build relationship with them, um, and share Jesus Christ with them. Um, We have access ministries where we provide supplemental food, uh, shelter kits, different things that these refugee families desperately need. Many of these families come from very, very traumatic backgrounds and circumstances. These these are refugees of war. And so when they come into the nation of Lebanon, they have nothing. (laughs) And so for the first people that they see to welcome them in, provide for them, help to educate their children, help to get them in a place where they can live and survive are followers of Jesus. They, they come in contact with Heart for Lebanon, and it just absolutely uh, wrecks their worldview, and they're, they're, they're led to a place of asking, why? Why are these people doing this? Why are they serving me in this way? And that's really where our team shines, is we've got an incredible team on the ground that um, that's what they do. They build these relationships, they serve these families, they invest in these kids, and they disciple Um, these men, women, and children to become followers of Christ and ultimately disciple makers. Well, it's really neat, everything that you're doing over there. And, and it's it's been really stunning to me how many people I've heard, so many stories about the people that you've been helping, the children in particular, who talk about their love for Jesus and they learn the Bible and they want to know more about the Lord and, and now they have hope of eternal life. Are you finding the receptiveness to the gospel increasing in any way in light of the fact that now there have been these added crises kind of piled on top of it? Janet, that's a great question. You know, I think there's this, um, unfortunately, many times there's this paradox of ministry that uh, the worse things get physically, the more physical suffering there is, the greater the opportunity for the gospel, the more people are looking for some sense of hope and some sense of security. And we are absolutely seeing that in Lebanon today. Um, We are seeing families, children, and adults come to faith in Christ in significant numbers. 
you know, our, our, our motto, if you will, as an organization is that we want to lead people from despair to hope. Well, there's never been a greater season of despair, certainly in the history of our ministry, in Lebanon. Yes. And so with that despair, uh, people are looking, they're asking questions, they're their government has failed them. Their culture is failing them. Uh, many of the of the religious strongholds that they have believed in have failed them, and they're looking for answers. And we see them turning to Christ in miraculous ways um, as they come in contact with the truth of the gospel, and they experience what true grace and love looks like in a culture where many times those those things are hard to find. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, I want to give out that phone number. If you can give a gift of $116 today, you'll be helping two families get this practical help that we've been talking about, the emergency supplies, the hygiene items, and also the most important thing is hearing the gospel. $116 helps two families for the next 60 days, and we want to help at least 100 families. If you can help dial this number, it's 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. 5499 or if you go on your computer you can find a banner at janetmefford.com let's talk james just briefly i know we don't have a lot of time left maybe another minute or so but one of the things that we've talked about before is the window of opportunity that the lord has given to your ministry right now i mean just the syrian civil war which has been such a horrific thing that's been an amazing thing that god has done because there are so many muslims coming into lebanon and so many of them are coming to the lord i mean that has to on some level, even in the midst of the crisis, that has to encourage you also, right? It does, and I think I think there is a, certainly there's a bigger mission at play in the midst of all this crisis in, in that, you know, uh, the people of Syria have been cut off from the gospel for, for years, mm. and our staff in Lebanon, most of our Lebanese staff, have been praying for an opportunity to reach Syria for years. And now, over the course of the last, you know, several years, God has brought the mission field to Lebanon. But, Janet, the thing that I get personally most excited about is that God has brought this mission field to Lebanon, and He's given us this window of time to invest in them spiritually, to disciple them. But ultimately, I believe the the, the long-term impact and, and strategic nature of our ministry is the opportunity to help mobilize these followers of Jesus back into Syria, back into Iraq, back into some of the darkest places of the world. I love it. Community leaders, as disciple makers, as church planters, as teachers. That's what's needed. Absolutely. James, we've got to run, but you can call now to help Heart for Lebanon, 888-247-5499. James Ward, thank you so much, and we'll be right back. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for 
for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports Preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, with the Ginsburg news, this piece of news kind of got pushed to the background, but I got to bring it out to the foreground because this, to me, is a very big piece of news, relatively speaking, of course. It may or may not have come to your attention that the Catholic Archbishop of San Francisco held this march to protest COVID-19 worship regulations this past weekend, and there were hundreds of Catholics marching to St. Mary's Cathedral saying, we're essential. They're really upset because... It's not fair there either. Big surprise, San Francisco. It's not being fair to churches. If you're Nordstrom, you can open up at, what, 50% capacity. But they're not allowing any worship inside churches in San Francisco. It is banned. And this archbishop wrote a piece over at the Washington Post on this. I love the headline. Americans' right to worship is being denied by governments. I won't be silent anymore. Just briefly, he says, I never expected that the most basic religious freedom, the right to worship, protected so robustly in our Constitution's First Amendment, would be unjustly repressed by an American government. But that's exactly what is happening in San Francisco. For months now, the city has limited worship services to just 12 people outdoors. Worship inside our own churches is banned. The city recently announced it will now allow 50 for outdoor worship with a goal of permitting indoor services up to a maximum of 25 people by October 1st, less than 1% of the capacity of San Francisco's St. Mary's Cathedral. So you can understand why he would be up in arms. It's a really good piece, actually. And I appreciate that you have people, not just evangelical Christians, making the same argument. Hey, we have rights here under the First Amendment that government cannot clamp down on us for it. You know, we have rights here that supersede local tyrants. So this was the report from ABC News 7, because Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, who happens to be from San Francisco and happens to be Roman Catholic, weighed in. And there's a twist. Listen to cut one. Hundreds of Catholics marched to St. Mary's Cathedral Sunday to send a message. We are essential. Going to Sunday Mass is is uh, like a freedom of speech and without that you take away a lot of our souls 
These Catholics want the right to safely worship indoors, but COVID restrictions still prohibit that in the city. You can go shopping in all the shopping malls, but you can't come to church. We're very happy that, that we're doing this, and it's about time that someone stood up for the churches. This is a mockery. They are mocking you, and even worse, they are mocking God. To City Hall, you don't matter. Archbishop Cordelione delivered this fiery sermon. We're tired of being treated uh, unequally. We're tired of being discriminated against. Currently, outdoor services are permitted with a maximum of 50 people. So recently, the Archbishop invited dozens of parishes to hold micro-masses on the St. Mary's Courtyard with masks and social distancing. But the Archbishop made it very clear he wants church to be held inside, not outside. It's not that we want to be reckless. We don't want to endanger public health. We can do it safely, and we just want to be unimpeded from doing so. Mayor London Breed's office says indoor worship services could resume by the end of the month with 25% capacity. In a statement, her office says we need to continue to follow the guidance of public health, but with every step of reopening, we need to remember that the virus is still very much present and we have to move forward safely. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is Catholic, said this. All due respect to my archbishop, uh, uh, I think we should follow science. Now, Why does that matter? Well, it's not surprising that Nancy Pelosi would want to keep the churches shut down, even Catholic churches, except they didn't include a particular portion of what the House Speaker had to say in that same speech where she admits that she's been to church. Isn't that interesting? Maybe after she got her hair cut, she showed up for in-person church. Listen to this, because now they're doing damage control over at Nancy Pelosi's spokesman's office. Listen to this cut, too. Nancy Pelosi's office is walking back a comment that she made on camera, appearing to admit that she violated San Francisco's months-long ban on indoor masses. Well, I have been to church in San Francisco recently, and I did receive communion. The church maybe holds... 250 people. There were probably 12 people here, there, very, very, very spaced. But that was it. No more would be allowed. The Catholic News Agency reports that Speaker Pelosi's office released a statement saying that she misspoke and has been participating regularly in church services virtually. Well, isn't that interesting? So KGO there in San Francisco, where that was broadcast, says she appeared to admit that she went to church. She didn't appear to admit. She flat out told you that she appeared in church. I have been to church in San Francisco recently, and I did receive communion. The church maybe holds 250 people. There were probably 12 people there, here and there, very, very spaced. But that was it. That's not... And aside, that's not something that could be misinterpreted. She flat out told you that she was in indoor church. And now you have some scrambling on the part of her spokesman, as you heard a little bit from uh, that report there. Pelosi's spokesman, Drew Hamill, told the Catholic News Agency, this is what he actually said, the speaker misspoke. That's kind of oxymoronic, isn't it? She has not been in San Francisco since September 5th due to ongoing talks around COVID-19 relief and appropriations. Well, hang on a second. Worship has been banned way before September 5th. So when was it that Speaker Pelosi was inside a Catholic church receiving communion? 
where there were 12 people in attendance, but the archbishop isn't allowed to have anybody inside St. Mary's Cathedral. Seems to me the archbishop has a little bit of spiritual authority over Nancy Pelosi and could make things a little bit difficult for her, and I certainly hope that he does. This is the same arrogant woman who is talking to us, talking down to the American people with her sub-zero refrigerators in the background, just like Marie Antoinette. Oh, let them eat cake. Oh, look at me. Look at all the stuff I have, all this wonderful ice cream. I always stock up on all of this stuff uh tone deaf much as people are losing their jobs during the pandemic as people are not allowed to have their livelihoods during the pandemic and you're doing just fine that that was pretty tone deaf what about the hair salon and then she lies about the hair salon owner or at least contradicted the hair salon owner and now the hair salon owner was getting tons of death threats and ended up having to close down her hair salon Because Nancy Pelosi is special, folks, don't you know? She's allowed to go to a Catholic mass, but you can't go to church in California, at least not in San Francisco. You can go in other parts of California if you stay outside. Isn't this nice how the state has gained control over the church? And these are the same people who scream separation of church and state when it suits them and then tyrannize the church when it doesn't. And then in her case, to make it even worse, she acts like a complete hypocrite. It's unbelievable. No, it's not. I shouldn't use that word. It is not unbelievable. It is completely believable. And these people get away with it because their side will never, ever hold them accountable. As long as you are doing the left's bidding, as long as you are dotting every I that progressives want you to dot and crossing every single T, you could do anything you want to do. And they will not call you on the carpet and they will lie for you and they will cover up for you and they will change their positions based on what you're saying today versus what you said two years ago that was completely contradictory or even yesterday. Nobody will hold you accountable on that side. And then when the other side tries to hold you accountable, it's just brushed off. Ah, moving on. This is what is so outrageous to me. We have had, as you know, because I've been covering this continually for months, starting back in April, these churches in California who want to open, open your doors. How many times do we have to say this? If millions of churches, thousands, I should say, because it's probably not in the millions in the state of California, but thousands of churches, if you would all open your doors on the same Sunday, they can't get you all. They can't jail you all. They could try to find you all, but it's going to be a bigger PR nightmare for them if they're seen going after Christians. Why are there only a few churches that are willing to do this? Why? And why in the world would you stay closed in California when clearly by the behavior of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, going to church is just fine as long as you socially distance. She didn't even say whether or not she was wearing a mask. Is that not important? There may be 12 people there. They were spaced. Were you wearing a mask? No, she's above reproach. Nancy Pelosi doesn't get questioned. Why would you question her? It's crazy. This is the same woman just a few days ago who was questioned by George Stephanopoulos on whether or not she would use the tool of impeachment to stop Donald Trump from getting through his Supreme Court nominee. And she said, good morning. It's Sunday morning. I mean, she was basically doing what Jacob Blake's father did when he got into an uncomfortable situation in his interview about his son's criminal record. And he started talking about Brussels sprouts. This, this is journalism. A real journalist would put these people on the hot seat and refuse to let them go until they gave a straight, honest answer, or at least an answer that they could be challenged on or refuted on because alternative information is out there that shows that they're liars. This is crazy. If you're living in California, especially if you're in San Francisco right now, and I know we've got great listeners in San Francisco, you should open your church. 
and make San Francisco explain to you why you have to stay closed when Nancy Pelosi can go to church anytime she wants to. Because I don't believe for a minute that she misspoke. Do you? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mufford today. We'll see you next time.